As I mentioned earlier, we are the passage that we are looking at this morning is going to be coming from uh, the letter to the Philippians, the Philippian church. Um, you'll find that in the New Testament, and we will be starting at the very beginning of chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is where you can open your Bible or your app on your phone. And one of the questions that we're going to explore together this morning is the question of how do we define who belongs to Jesus? How do we define what it means to be the people of God? And if we think about it, in the world around us in general, there are certain requirements to belonging to any group. Even groups that are the most inclusive of groups still have some sort of expectation for you, the kind of person you are, the actions that you will take that, that define you as being part of the in-group or the out-group. Even uh, if you think about a family and what it means to belong to a family, most of us would think first of, well, it's, it's the people who are born into that family, and that's what defines if you're in or out. But then we think of people who have been married into the family, um, people who've been adopted into the family, or even just those people that over the years have become like family. But what is it that, that would define for us that those people belong, that those people are a part of us? What are the spoken or unspoken rules um, that would cause us to look and say, yeah, you're, you are one of us. Paul is going to be addressing that question that has significant impact for us uh, today, just as it did thousands of years ago. Um, who are the people of God, and what does it mean to be a part of this people? What's required to belong? And so let's read Paul's words, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, as we are here before you, as we are, are listening to your words, uh, the words that were written through the Apostle Paul centuries ago, we ask that today that you would illuminate them to us and for us. Lord, that we would hear your voice speaking through scripture this morning. That we would know you. That we would experience you. And that that would change everything about us. And so, Lord, this morning our, our hearts are open, our ears are open. We long to know your spirit moving in us and amongst us. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Paul starts this section out by saying, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And as we hear those words, finally, rejoice in the Lord, it's not because Paul is wrapping up his, his letter and he's like, okay, this long letter is almost over. You can rejoice now. But instead, he is saying that, that finally, these, these final things that I have to speak to you about, to write to you about, that, that these things are going to cause something within you that would, would allow you to praise God. That the things that I have to share with you are to fill you with joy. And as he's wrapping up this letter, he's, he's wanting to, to communicate something, something weighty, something that he's really longing for the Philippian church to understand, to know, to remember. And so he says that, that this is a message that he's, that he's repeated to them. This isn't going to be something new to them, um, but this is probably something that he spoke to them in person or wrote to them in another letter. And he's, he's saying that, that I don't have any problem repeating myself because this is so important for you to know, for you to understand, and for you to take in. It's a, a kind of message that's a preventative medicine. Because Paul knows that there is going to be coming, uh, most likely coming some people who would turn the Philippian church away from their focus on Jesus Christ and his death alone. And so he knows that, that for probably the last decade, that as he has gone around planting churches and speaking to different Christian communities, that there has been this group of people who have been following after him missionaries for circumcision, a group of people who are so passionate about Christians following the ways of the Torah, following the ways of the law, following the, the cultural ways of the Jewish people, that they are, are going along after Paul, trying to convince Gentiles, who were the, the people who were not Jewish, of Jewish birth, convincing these Gentile Christians that they needed to become like the Jewish people if they wanted to really belong to the people of God. 
And so Paul takes a significant section of his letter uh, to write to the, the Philippian church and to say, beware, be on your lookout for these people who would try to define what it means to belong to God in a way that's contrary to what we have experienced in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And so he gives them, them three things to beware of. Beware or watch out. And so he first says, beware of the dog. Now, Paul is not talking about cute little house pets. He's not talking about cute chubby dogs. He is saying, beware of the dog. And this is an awful insult in this culture. I mean, even today, right? If you call someone a dog, that's not like a loving, endearing thing. And so Paul is using um, some rhetorical devices from his time, his culture, to try to wake up his audience to the danger that he's feeling from these um, missionaries of circumcision that he's worried are going to come along and talk to the Philippian church. And so he says, beware of the dogs. And now the irony here is that the, the Jewish people would oftentimes, in insult, um, refer to non-Jews as being dogs. And now Paul has flipped it, and he's saying, now the, the Jewish people who want to make you Gentiles be culturally like them, that they're the dogs. They're the, the, the people that are, are longing to, um, to twist and to distort. And so he says, beware. And the, the words that he used there of beware of dogs, there's actually a, the Latin equivalent of this Greek phrase that would be actually made into a mosaic on the, the entryways of many of the Roman villas. And so there would be this phrase in a mosaic that would say, beware of dogs. And oftentimes there was even a picture that was made out of mosaics of a really fierce dog kind of lunging at you with a leash on it. And so a common picture that would be in the mind of the people would be this sign on the floor of a, the entryway to a Roman house that would say, watch out for the dog. Don't come too close because we've got a, a guard dog here. And so Paul is describing these, these Jewish Christians that might be coming as almost like these guard dogs that are protecting the home, protecting the entrance to um, becoming the people of God. And so Paul's saying, watch, watch out for these people who want to try to define and guard the doorway, who want to be the gatekeepers of who is in and who is out. And then he says, to beware of the evil workers or evil doers. And again, there's some irony here because throughout the Psalms, the, the people who are described as evil doers or evil workers are the people who don't follow the law, who don't follow Torah. And here Paul is saying, now the people who are evil workers are those who would try to impose the old covenant way of belonging to God and impose that on the, the people who God is now drawing into his family. So beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, and beware of the mutilators of the flesh. 
There's a, a, a term that could be used to describe circumcision that's a, a cutting around, but the word that Paul uses to talk about these mutilators of the flesh is actually a, a word that would be, instead of cutting around, it would be like cutting up or chopping up. So beware of, of somebody who, who's going to be a, a butcher. And so Paul is really using some harsh language here to try to wake up his audience again and get them on high alert for the things that he has to say. And he follows this up by saying, for it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul is answering the unspoken question of who are the people of God. See, God established his people through Abraham and that his descendants would belong to God. And a sign of this belonging, the sign of this, this special relationship, this covenant that God and Abraham's family are making, that this, that would be circumcision for all the men who belong to the family. That would be the sign of the covenant. And the way people would enter into the family of God would either be that you were born into the, the family of Abraham or you would convert, convert to Judaism. And part of your conversion would be following all of the laws and requirements that God set out for his people. The, the things that would define what his people looked like. And part of that would be circumcision, Part of that would be um, your worship of the Lord and offering of sacrifices. Part of that would be the, the food that you ate and the food that you abstained from. It would be the behaviors that you had in community. It would be um, a ritual cleansing that all of these things were laid out for the people of God in the Torah. And the people who belonged to him were those people who either were born into that relationship or came willingly into it, choosing to follow all of the cultural ways of being Jewish that God had set out for his people. And so it seems to make sense that now these Jewish Christians, the Jewish followers of Jesus, would also say for Gentile converts to the way of Jesus, that this is how people have always entered into relationship with God. It's always looked like this. It's always been that you needed to be circumcised, that you needed to follow Torah, that you needed to follow um, our dietary restrictions, that you need to follow our special holy days and the way that we worship the Lord. This is how it has always been and has always looked like to follow God and belong to his people. And so it makes a lot of logical sense that, that the Jewish Christians would now want all of the Gentile converts to look like them, to behave like them, to follow their same customs and practices and laws, because this is what it means to be the people of God. But Paul says, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who are in covenant relationship with the Lord. And here he's speaking from his um, standing as a Jewish man and speaking to a church that is either entirely or predominantly non-Jewish. And he's saying, now, now we, Jew and Gentile, we together 
are the circumcision, the covenant people of God. This would be incredibly radical to hear or to preach. That, that we together are the people of God. We who worship in the spirit of God, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who have no confidence in the flesh. That the definition of what it meant to follow God was being radically changed and becoming more inclusive. That the people of God were expanding, the definition of who the people of God were, was expanding to be able to encompass all peoples of the world, all nations on earth. That now the way was paved through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, who was that promised seed, that promised descendant of Abraham. That now through the Jewish people, a way was made that all could belong to God. People who had no confidence in the flesh anymore, but instead those who had confidence in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, if it's a matter of confidence that we're doing the right thing or we are the right type of people to belong to God, if, if that's the game we're playing here of who's got a, a, a strong foundation to stand on, Paul says, I can play that game. I can play the game of putting confidence in who I am and how I live. And he says that even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised of the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's willing to entertain this argument this argument that the, the um, missionaries of the circumcision would try to, to carry out in the church, this argument of saying that you need to be a Jewish convert in order to follow Jesus. And so he's saying, I, I was given good standing. I was, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I was born of the line of Abraham. I was part of the tribe of Benjamin, a, a really special tribe to be a part of. He says, I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. It's almost like he's boasting, saying, like, I, I speak the language. I didn't have to, to learn it later on in life. I speak the language. I am a, a Jewish person. That he followed the law. He was part of a group of people, the Pharisees, who loved and revered the word of God. I mean, these people wanted so much to follow in the ways of the Lord, to, to fulfill their end of their covenant agreement with God. They were so zealous to fulfill every requirement that God had for them. And Paul's saying, that, that was me. That's who I am. I fulfilled every requirement that there was under the law. I was so passionate about following the ways of God that I persecuted the church. When he saw a group of people who seemed to be distorting what it meant to follow God, he was passionate about trying to stop it. He was blameless under the law. And so Paul's just saying, like, 
I've got every reason to have confidence that I am part of the people of God because I have done everything right. My parents did everything right. And yet, if Paul, if he's, if he's a poster child of doing it right, why would he go on to say, but I consider it all loss? Not because any of those things, I mean, maybe aside from the persecuting the church, but not because of any of those things were evil or wrong. In fact, those were all good and beautiful things that Paul was listing off. But he was saying, I consider all of that loss, all of it as, as rubbish compared to what I gain in Jesus Christ. He's using accounting language here of um, if you think of a, a spreadsheet or a ledger, a book that on one side has all of the profits and one side has all of the losses or assets and liabilities, Paul is listing out for us all of the things that he can count and add up and say, I am doing well. Then he says, yet, yet I consider all of this as not being a benefit to me but I consider it as being placed on the, the other side of the balance sheet. Instead of being a, a profit, it's a loss to me. Instead of being a gain, it's a loss. And why does he say this? Again, not because any of those things were necessarily bad. I mean, following the way of the Lord, that was, that was the Torah was something that God himself gave to his people, asking them to fulfill these requirements. And Paul is saying that even that, even these, these good and beautiful things, when I think of Jesus Christ and knowing him, that there, there is no comparison. There is no comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. Compared to the newness of life that is offered, compared to the, the forgiveness of sin, compared to Jesus Christ finally dealing with sin and death. That when I look back on, on the old way, when I look back on the old covenant and fulfilling it, that in, even in doing everything right, the life that it brings has no comparison to this newness of life that God has brought, not only to the Jewish people, but to the entire world through Jesus Christ. God in Jesus is reconciling the world, giving us new life. And there is nothing, no form of, of human effort or work that could compare to that life that is on offer, freely given through Jesus Christ. Paul found everything lacking compared to what he gained in Jesus Christ. And so he answers the question, what does it mean to be the people of God? Is it Torah and circumcision that defines the people of God? Or is it Jesus and his faithfulness? And for Paul, his, his righteousness, his, um, his moral standing, his 
rightness before the Lord, but also much more his, his covenant status, his relationship with the Lord. Belonging to God, it was all Jesus. It was all Jesus. It was no longer defined by the past. So he says in verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from following Torah correctly, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Jesus was faithful to his purposes. Jesus was faithful in his obedience, in the vocation that he carried, even to the point of death on the cross. And he fulfilled all of the laws, all of the requirements, his obedience to God's plan of redemption. And so God in Jesus Christ dealt with our sin on the cross so that in his resurrection, sin and death is left behind and a new people emerges. A new people who are alive to God. We are included in the family of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. That it's at that moment when we are found in Jesus Christ, we are now part of this new people that God birthed through the, the cross and through the resurrection. A new people that no longer were identified solely by um, either belonging to the Jewish people or following the customs and the, the ways of the Jewish people and the Torah. But now through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, that seed of Abraham, all people on earth now can belong to this new people of God, this new family that has emerged. And this was something that had been promised throughout Scripture. It had been promised throughout Scripture that circumcision was no longer going to be something of the flesh, but it was going to be a circumcision that God would do in the heart of his people. And that as this new kind of circumcision was done in people's hearts, that, that this new family that would emerge would be alive to the Spirit of God. the Old Testament, we see these promises that this people of God are going to expand to fill the entire world. And so for Paul, as he's thinking about people coming alongside and talking to these Gentile followers of Jesus Christ and trying to convince them that they need to change who they are in a way to add on to themselves an, an outside culture, an outside way of being. He uses some of the harshest language to try to startle them awake and say that, that if we begin to, to hang on to the old covenant, the old way of following God, we cannot simultaneously hold on to Jesus Christ and all the newness that is offered in him. Anytime we try to, to add on requirements for what it looks like and means to be the people of God that is outside the realms of who Jesus Christ is and his death and resurrection, anytime we do that, we end up fracturing the people of God. 
fracturing the people of God into different groups when the reality is that everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs at the same table. Everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs at the same table. Not, not people who are, are true followers of Jesus because, like in, in the Philippians' time, true followers of Jesus because they are culturally Jewish. No, we're all followers of Jesus. And anyone who belongs to him is part of the people of God. And we don't have debates today, thankfully, very often, I don't think, maybe in small segments of the world, about a convert to Christianity needing to follow circumcision. Right? That's, that's not something that has translated very well uh, 2,000 years later. But the reality is that oftentimes... In Christianity, we can take on that same posture, that same posture of trying to be guard dogs, guarding the entrance to the people of God. That we might not try to convince people to get circumcised, but we can add on requirements to what it means to belong to God. And so we can think back throughout history, even if we think about um, European missionaries who went into South America and Africa, um, Pacific Island, and they brought with them all of these extra requirements of what it meant to be a Christian. And they simultaneously converted people to Jesus and converted them to a European way of life and a European way of worshiping Jesus, a European way of dressing, a European way of speaking, a European way of, of culturally identifying yourselves. And so Christianity brought with it, as one seamless garment, all of these extra requirements of people's culture and the requirements of following Jesus. And we can continue to do that and have continued to do that throughout history. I think of segments of the population in, um, in the U.S. church that had requirements for what it meant to be the people of God, requirements of um, what side of a theological debate you were on, uh, requirements of, in, in some places, not, not singing, not dancing, not going to movies, not watching certain things, not dressing in a certain way, uh, the not... Um, drinking alcohol or abstaining from alcohol, that we had all of these things that we added on to what it meant to, to really be the people of God, to really belong to the people of God. And so often, if we are left on our own to define who is in and who is out, the defining markers we tend to use are our own culture, our own cultural values, uh, maybe the way that we were raised or the way we saw others worshiping Jesus. And so we allow this, this cultural understanding of what it looks like to worship and follow God. We allow this to be the defining marker for us of who's in and who's out. And so we too can become like those European missionaries who want to convert people to our cultural way of following Jesus. Instead of, instead of being uh, doorkeepers in the house of God, 
inviting and welcoming in all who God has invited and welcomed in, we can so easily become those guard dogs trying to keep people out. And I think so often it's because we, we love and esteem, we value certain things in our culture, certain cultural expressions of worshiping the Lord and following him. I think for the Jewish Christians, they, they loved their rich heritage. There was so much beauty for them in the sign of the circumcision. There was so much beauty for them in the, in the way that they worshipped God in the synagogue and in the temple. That for them, there was so much history that as they worshipped him in as the Jewish people, they had story after story of God's faithfulness that was in display in the way they followed him, the holy days that they, that they observed. And so for us, we can have this, this nostalgia for the way we were raised, this nostalgia for the way we worship God or connect with him, and we can love it so much that we can try to, to put those same requirements on others. And instead of welcoming and inviting people in, we actually keep people out. Because the, the culture of the kingdom of God is a culture that can be uh, contextualized in any culture, in any nationality, in any ethnicity, in any people group. The, the culture of the kingdom of God can come into any people group and the beautiful things about culture can be expanded and expressed through worship. And in every culture, there are, are idolatries and areas of brokenness that the, the kingdom, the culture kingdom of God is going to confront and come up against. And as Jesus followers, we have to, to do the work or, or allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in, of, in us, detangling our cultural ways of worshiping Jesus from the true ways of following Jesus. And that as we do that, there is going to be a freedom. There's going to be a freedom that is opened up, a door that is opened so that all people on earth all people on earth can faithfully follow him. Not because we need to become one uh, monolithic culture of Christians, but instead that the cultural kingdom of God would permeate every culture on earth. And so that we would see Jewish Christians worshiping Jesus in a way that beautifully expresses uh, Jewish heritage and that we would find white American Christians worshiping God in a way that, that only amplifies the good things about white American culture, and that we would find Asian American Christians worshiping God in a way that is beautifully expressed through Asian American culture, that every people of God could worship him in their unique way, and that together as people of God, we would find ourselves sitting around one table, not divided based on who's following our special requirements added on to the requirements of following Jesus.
And so when we ask the question, what does it mean to belong to the people of God? Instead of using our own culture, its customs and values as the measuring rod, would we instead define it the same way that Paul defines following Jesus here? As gaining Christ, as knowing him. Knowing him in a way that, that is experiencing the, both the power of his resurrection, the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives, and also knowing Christ in his suffering. That we would be a people who define following God by having our arms wrapped around Jesus and knowing him as the one thing in our life that is of surpassing greatness to anything else we could claim is good about our lives. And the way we would answer the question of who belongs to the people of God would be everyone who has gained Jesus Christ. Everyone who knows both the power of his spirit living within them, as well as knowing and, and embracing his suffering, his way of life that would be sacrificially living and loving on behalf of others. And that as we begin to define following Jesus in that way and belonging to the people of God that way, we would begin to see partnerships opened up. We would begin to see divisions in the body of Christ being healed. That in, in a very fractured people, that maybe we could begin to be unified around Jesus Christ, no longer defining ourselves by what denomination we're a part of, if we're Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox, no longer defining who we are based on our style of worship or based on, on what stream of Christianity we're a part of. But instead, we would look at our fellow brothers and sisters as people across a wide spectrum of expressions of worship. And this wide spectrum would be filled with men and women who love Jesus and who have embraced him both in his resurrection as well as in his death. So our invitation is to cling to Jesus alone, to come to a place like Paul of realizing how insufficient everything else is compared to all that Jesus is, and to be able to just say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus, and I want to express him to the world around me. And the good news is that as we're clinging to Jesus, he is clinging to us. And as we are seeking to be faithful to Jesus, even when we falter, he is faithful to us. And so this morning, would we be able to, to echo those words of Paul? That I, I want to know I want to know him, both in his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, and suffering, the suffering of his death. And if we do that, if that's where our focus is as a people, 
and we don't get caught up in, in being guard dogs, trying to protect a past where God no longer is, trying to protect and preserve an old way, but instead we would embrace all the newness of life that God is bringing through Jesus Christ, and that in that we would find ourselves to be such a welcoming people who long to be doorkeepers in the house of God, longing to just welcome everyone in who hears the voice of Jesus calling them. Would you stand with me this morning as the worship team comes back up? And as we stand, um, if you're comfortable, would you just put your hands out in front of you? And this morning, let's Let's give ourselves to the Lord and ask him to do a work in us that would cause us to know him and would help us to let go of anything else that we cling to so that we can hold on to him, so that we could gain Jesus Christ. Father God, this morning as we are, are standing here in your presence, Lord, we, we speak these words that we long to know you. We want to know what it means when, when Paul wrote about gaining Jesus Christ. We want to be a people who cling to you and who follow your, both your invitation and your way of life, your invitation to a new life and the invitation into what this new life looks like. And God, we would be willing to let go of anything else that we cling to, any, any cultural values, any former ways of, of what it meant to follow you. And Lord, in exchange for that, that, that we would have our, our hands, our arms, wrapped around Jesus Christ and him alone. And that as we follow you into the newness of life, Lord, that we would know you teaching us, showing us what it looks like to follow you, showing us what it means to walk in life instead of death. And Lord, that as we do that, you would be doing a work in your people, inviting others along, and that we would see the, that beautiful picture that you um, have given us in scripture, this beautiful picture of the people of God expanding to fill the whole world. Lord, we do long to know you. We long to know you. We long to find ourselves in you, to find ourselves defined by you. And so, Lord, we pray that, that you would empower us this morning to follow after you and that our lives would be defined by knowing and experiencing your power and your sustenance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.